All right, on this week's episode of Isolated, but not alone, we're going to dive into one of the solution-oriented theories, and that is solution-focused therapy. And this theory is interesting because it came about as therapists started to realize the costs and time and the resources that were utilized to try to find the cause behind a problem while not addressing the problem or its symptoms. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Rains, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines, is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. All right, welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. As I said before, on this episode, we're going to focus in on solution-focused therapy. So I am sitting in my office. It is cold outside in Minnesota. It is 30 degrees outside. And I always think back to some of the more interesting places I've lived. So I haven't shared before on the podcast. I've lived in several different states and sometimes multiple different towns or cities within those states. Some of the more extremes being Alabama, where it was hot all the time, and I had an accent. So if you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, you have an accent, but it doesn't sound Alabaman. Is Alabaman a term? If you're from Alabama, and that's not a term, I apologize. But, you know, I started to use the word y'all, which would really upset my grandma, who was a grammar teacher, you know, because y'all is not a word. And I started to um, say some interesting, you know, more Southern type phrases, you know, and I never got it perfected though. So if you're like, was it perfected Southern accent? Absolutely not. I'll never forget. I was at a big event and I was doing a minor speaking part and the governor of Alabama just happened to be at this event and you know i'm standing in front of hundreds and hundreds of people and i'm introducing i say mobile alabama right and so the crowd like erupts into laughter right because they thought i was making a joke <laughs> and pronouncing it incorrectly but really i just pronounced it incorrectly um, and it's mobile alabama uh, maybe I didn't pronounce it correctly. I don't know at this point because I got quite the laughter. Let's just put it that way. And so that was one of the more temperate places. It was always, as I remember, hot. The winters, if they could be called that, were extremely mild. Um, I remember the one time there was frost or a little bit of ice, and it was like a declared like a city disaster, and they like shut roads down, and people stayed in their homes. And, you know, having gone to college in Minnesota, where there could be a foot of snow on the ground, you can't even see over certain hills of it, and it's below zero, 
and everybody's just going about their normal way of life, you know, it was quite interesting to me to, to see that difference um, there. And one of the places I live where people think the weather is just way different than it actually was, was when I lived um, off the coast of Alaska on a remote and isolated island called Kodiak. So if you're one of my listeners and you're listening to Kodiak, shout out to all my friends there. I love all you guys. Um, if you're not my friends, I still love you. But, you know, I've been there twice in my life. I've lived there two different times. And the weather there was quite nice, very temperate. I rarely remember it getting below 20. And I never, ever remember it getting above 80 <laughs> the entire time I lived there. And don't get me wrong, they get snow, they get ice, but mostly it's rain uh, being an island off the coast there in the Pacific. And uh, But people think they hear Alaska and they think, you know, northern Alaska, where everything is an ice tundra. And, you know, there's just nothing but deep, deep cold. Or they get even more confused and they equate Alaska with Antarctica. <laughs> they, you know, they just, you know, they don't see the differences. And I always tell people I lived on a tropical island off the coast of, um, I always called it Northern Hawaii. Uh, I don't know if there's any truth to that, but it sounded cool when I said it. So now I'm sitting in Minnesota again. It's 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 cold. It's balmy outside. You know, and I've got a bit of, you know, um, some nasal stuff going on. And I was thinking to myself as I sat down to do this podcast of how different times are than they were even two years ago. And if you're out there listening in the middle of a global pandemic, you're probably going, mm -hmm, yep, yep. And I remember even two years ago, if you were sick, you went to work. I'm just saying what happened. Like, there's no judgment here. There's no accusations here. Uh, there's no statement about how people should act or polity or anything like that. It's simply, you, if you were sick, you went to work. And the only time you didn't go to work was when you were so sick that you couldn't get out of bed. And that was my experience growing up is you always went to work. You know, you didn't use your sick days if you were actually sick. You used your sick days for what I like to call mental health days. You know, and that was a joke that a mental health day, you weren't necessarily sick, but you could not be at work. <laughs> Whether you were burnt out or tired or you had enough, whatever it may be, um, you just could not function at work that day. To compare that to how things are now where if you get even a, a little bit of nasal stuff, you're instantly terrified. You're instantly nervous. You're instantly afraid. All of a sudden, this choice that never even was an issue before is now this choice of, do I go to work and potentially harm people? Do I stay at home? You know, especially with occupations where you know, people need to be where they need to be for work. For example, law enforcement, um, medical field, you know, where nurses are needed where they are needed, you know, to where calling off could really put people in harm's way. You know, that becomes a debate when it never used to be that way. It's, it's a sit down and a debate. And I'm just being honest and open. Like I said, there's no judgments here. There's no um, this is how it should be done, or this is the way it should go. It's just simply saying that things were very different and comparing them to how they are now. And before there wasn't a debate or a discussion about it, it was simply, I'm sick, but I got to go to work. And now it's become something that we generates a lot of fear, generates a lot of concern within us about what to do, like what what wisdom to utilize. 
Do I become loyal or look loyal at my job and do the right thing for the people I may service? Do I stay at home because I might be carrying a plague or disease of some kind that can harm people or put people in harm's way? Unsuspecting to me. And this is the difference that have occurred just in the last couple of years. And so, you know, with this nasal stuff going on, you know, those are, that's discussions I had to have with myself. And that's something that we as a society are going to have to get used to. I say all that to, to bring up a point that I, I want to get to is that we are living in different times than we were two years ago. Society has changed. Um, society has reacted to a global pandemic. And change is difficult, even in the best of circumstances. And we are now in a place where not only are we having to change, but we're having to change almost instantly and under the fear of not only death, but the potential of hurting other people. And that creates a lot of trauma. In fact, I would say, and I know I've heard others say, is that right now our whole society, and I don't just mean our society in the United States, I mean globally, is reeling from the trauma that is COVID, the pandemic. And what I mean by that is fear of death, concern for others, the unknown, having to change so quickly from things that we might have been doing for 30, 40, 50 years is difficult, is challenging. Our coping mechanisms that we utilized before maybe aren't sufficient enough now. Our coping mechanisms that helped us before maybe aren't cutting it anymore because of the quickness of the changes, because of all the pressures about work and about illness and about all the different messages that we are literally being inundated with through the news and social media that they're amping up. And what I mean by that is our coping mechanisms maybe before were hinging on healthy and unhealthy. You know, for example, maybe we were exercising 30 minutes a day to feel good about ourselves, about our bodies, you know, to be a little bit more healthy than we were. But now we're exercising two hours a day and we're starting to get joint pains and we're starting to get muscle tears. We're starting to get, you know, muscle sprains and pulls and all the other things you can do to your body when you're exercising too much. Maybe before uh, we got a drink after work to kind of relieve some of the anxiety and tension from the day. But now you're drinking maybe five, ten beers after work or having five to ten drinks after work. You know, maybe before you struggled with releasing your anger out on your loved ones. Maybe you raised your voice. Maybe sometimes you even yelled. But now maybe you're shoving. Maybe you're providing discipline to your children that it's more harsh than you ever had before. We as a globe are dealing with this. And so I just wanted to kind of share that to move into, you know, solution-focused summary. You know, because solution-focused isn't interested in how the problem came to be. It assumes there's a problem, right, that needs to be solved, right? Or, as I've said before, needs to have a solution. It's not interested in the theories of causality. And what I mean by that, it's not interested in what caused the problem. It's interesting in how to change, Change being extremely important to this type of therapy. This therapy holds that 
Um, problems are defined by language, not how people communicate, but by the words that they use within the societies and subcultures and sub-societies that they live in. Not communication, but by the language that they use. This theory holds that people are really trying to do the best that they can. And for some reason, the best that they can do fails to solve or provide a solution for the problem. I really like the ampersand. I don't have a lot of time to talk about it on this episode because I've already spent a lot of time talking about the pandemic, which you know a lot of people are talking about. But the ampersand is very important to me in my personal walk, my personal growth. And the ampersand really is a symbol. You know, it means and if you're if you're wondering. Um, it's a symbol for me to help me deal with all the seeming paradoxes in my life that I experience every day. And what I mean by paradoxes that I experience is that something can happen in my life that seems truthful and real to me. And yet at the same time, simultaneously, I can have something that seems completely contradictory also occurring. And the danger for me in that is to pick one or the other. So one has to be false and one has to be true because they both can't be true. That's impossible. And that's where the paradox comes in. So the ampersand or, you know, and helps me to broaden my thought pattern, helps me to think about it differently. So instead of one or the other, I can say and or both. And I say that to say I can be doing my best and it's not good enough. I can be doing my best and I can still fail. This was something that's very important and I've utilized a lot. And this has not come from me. In fact, I don't really know where the origin of this comes from. I've actually interacted with several different groups like Faithful and True up in the Twin Cities um, in Minnesota that utilize this symbol. And I think that they eventually, I think the symbol came from somebody else, but I'm not 100% sure. So I will give them the credit, but it may come from somebody else as well that they uh, learned from it or that they learned it from. And it helps us to see that we can have two truths in our life that seem contradictory. And in addiction, it's, it's very important because oftentimes in addiction, it's easy to get into black and white thinking. This or that. Either or. And one way to address that is to broaden our perspective. To say both things can be true simultaneously, even if they're contradictory. And that's kind of what I think of when I think of this. Because people are doing their best and yet it's not good enough. Because they're failing in some way. So one way this looks at health is creating a solution for a problem that either eliminates the problem or solves it. Sometimes that's an exception that's expanded. That's a time in your life where the problem did not exist or was minimal. And you want to figure out what's going on during that time and reinforce that in the client or help the client to reinforce that. Other solutions are just created through imagination and creativity. And some are like adjustments to reality. And that's kind of more the confrontational aspect of it is because not everybody has a real, perceived reality that matches the reality that they are in, and vice versa, which can be kind of complicated to understand. This kind of, again, comes into that either-or thinking. Either-or thinking restricts our reality, or at least our perception of reality, to one or the other, when both might be true. This theory sees that people often become overly focused on the problem. The problem 
almost takes on a life of its own because it's getting all this power and energy from our own thought patterns and our own development. And that becomes personal, right? That becomes that I'm the problem. Or I have somehow become completely enslaved by the problem. I saw this a lot in addictions work. It can become a very deadly cycle where I am enslaved to my drug of choice. I will never, ever, ever be able to stop using it. So I might as well use it. Now that can come out in various different ways, but in the end, the idea is is that I'm enslaved to the problem. There's no escape from it. The problem takes on a power of its own. I have done everything I can to escape this harsh master. I cannot escape them. I am helpless and the situation is hopeless. I have exhausted everything that I could possibly do to solve the problem and it was not enough. So then the therapist in this theory does not have the same perception of the problem that the client does. And they are able to kind of step in and change the focus from the problem to the solution and add a new set of eyes or a pair of eyes to creating a solution. And the, the one big um, intervention that I utilize a lot from this system is the miracle question. And the miracle question is, goes something like this. Suppose that while you were sleeping, a miracle occurs and your problem is solved. Okay. When you wake up, what things will you notice that shows you that something is different, that your problem has been solved? And what happens is when the client answers this question, they're usually providing like normal behaviors. And what the client is doing is providing kind of a guide map or a framework of how to act in a new way to such as to solve the problem. So in a sense, the miracle question is getting them to develop their own solution or to think about solutions to their problems based on how things would look in their life that are different. The client in this therapy has the power and the insight to create a real solution for their problems. And what, as we talk a little bit more about solution-oriented theories, we're going to see how this theory which was developed in the 1980s, kind of informs the next theory that we're going to talk about, narrative therapy. So again, thank you for listening. Take care and be safe. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health and we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions and remember it might feel like you're isolated and maybe you are but you're not alone